get some. Today seems pretty mundane. It's kind of like the demons are taking all my friends away. Just like Ash. Just one by one, they will take us. Just kidding. Brett's out of commission this week, so I figured I'd just go stag and do something interesting this week until next week when he returns triumphantly. So today I got something a little bit special for you. It's It'll be kind of like a history lesson, so to speak. So here on the Heroes from the Sky podcast, I'm going solo tonight, so it'll be the Hero from the Sky podcast. But first, I want to get something out of the way that's been kind of picking my brain, so... I was actually thinking, they've delayed the Evil Dead game until May 13th, which is Friday the 13th for all of you listening. I was thinking the whole reason they did that is because... Uh, I read a report that they're going to make it more story-driven. So maybe they're going to put an extra effort for us fans for that. So that's my opinion on that. But That said, on to business. The Evil Dead exhibits this paranoid tendency, most prominently in the terms of visual perspectives offered on the five young characters during the course of the film. The sense that order, normality, and stability are entirely precautious is established from the very first shot in the film, which is presented not from the perspective of the human characters, but from the point of view of the demon force moving across the water and towards the characters as they travel by car to the cabin. The rest of this sequence then cuts across three different sets of shots in order to create a suspense sequence with a false scare cutting between the perspective of the force the characters in the car and truck traveling down the road which at the climax of the sequence narrowly misses hitting the character's car this opening sequence thus foregrounds the demon's point of view shot by introducing us to the film's world through the use of this shot and thus introduces us to one of the dominant perspectives from which we will observe these characters and their story. Indeed, the film returns us to this shot continuously throughout the first half, and this potentially prevents us from becoming entirely engaged with and attached to the characters. For example, the early section of the film includes a sweet and touching scene where Ash presents Linda with a gift of a necklace, accompanied by a series of close-ups of their eyes and a gentle string of music on the soundtrack. However, at the culmination of this sequence, the film returns us to the outside of the cabin where we observe Ash and Linda from the distorted wide-angle perspective of the demon force lurking outside, waiting to strike. As a consequence of these patterns, the fact that the characters are ultimately puppets and future victims of the demons is consistently emphasized, potentially pulling the viewer away from engaging with these characters on any other level. Admittedly, there is nothing particularly unusual or unconventional about this approach. Indeed, 
Carol Clover and Vera Dika have identified the strategy of beginning the film from the monster's perspective as a convention employed in Halloween and a range of subsequent slasher and stalker films. This shifting pattern in the stalker film where the film switches from shots from the killer's point of view to scenes focused on the film's characters and then back again can be related to the gaming function of these types of films. For her, this shifting allows the audience to participate in the investigation and stalking of potential victims. While also being able to maintain a degree of moral distance from this stalking perspective, because we are not given access to the humanity of the killer in the way that we are the film's protagonist and his or her friends. However, what perhaps distinguishes the Evil Dead is that these patterns are augmented by the other techniques that seem to work to foreground the inevitability of the character's fate and the sense that they are ultimately at the mercy of the demons. The first technique relates to the film's narrative. After arriving at the cabin, the characters find the Book of the Dead and a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder in the cellar. Upon listening to it and playing the citation of the book's incantations, the demonic force is shown to be unleashed. However, as has been pointed out by Bill Warren, this is to disregard the fact that the demon force has already been shown to be rampant in the woods. In the sequence where Cheryl draws the Book of the Dead to be already present in the cabin, Warren argues that this is a flaw in the film's narrative and considering the piecemeal way in which the film's script was put together. It's possible that this is the case, however, this flaw does seem whether intentional or otherwise, to contribute to a sense that the possession and destruction of these characters is inevitable, and that at any and all of the characters' actions and efforts are ultimately hopeless and futile. The framing of characters by the camera and particular shot compositions also seem to contribute to this aura of the inevitability and hopelessness with some shots working to convey the sense that the characters are trapped and hemmed in by forces beyond their control. Firstly, characters are often filmed from very high or very low angles. This is particularly evident in the sequence near the end of the film where Ash emerges from the cellar to find that the entire cabin is possessed, but these shots also concur throughout. For example, from the high and low angles employed as Scotty first approaches the cabin and reaches for the keys to the high angle shot of Ash as he listens to the tape recorder. Secondly, and in contrast, the film also employs close-ups and extreme close-ups of faces at moments of attack. The infamous tree rape sequence is one example of this with the majority of the rape being depicted via a series of close-ups of the tree branches, parts of Cheryl's body, and her tormented face, with no establishing or long shots being employed throughout.
include the extreme close-ups of Linda and Scotty's faces as they are attacked and possessed characters. Thirdly, a lot of these key scenes of tension are filmed with a handheld camera with the sequence where Cheryl begins to panic after being attacked by the woods, being a particularly effective example in that the roaming handheld camera contributes to this sense of terror and claustrophobia. Finally, the film is dotted with shots that are composed so that an object of some kind is positioned in front of the characters in the extreme foreground. Some of the most striking examples of this are the banging wooden swing bench which dominates the right side of the frame as the characters arrive at the cabin. The clock pendulum which swings across the front of the frame in shots taken from the position of the clock looking out at the character. And the dripping pipe which dominates the left side of the frame as Ash leaves the cellar near the end of the film. Many of these formal depictions of claustrophobia and entrapment seem to be inspired by the use of similar techniques in Night of the Living Dead, most prominently the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. While in Hooper's film, the disorienting contrast between close and distance shots is emphasized via camera zooms. Hooper also uses a handheld camera and cuts between high angles and extreme close-ups to convey a sense of helplessness and claustrophobia. Particularly, and most famously, during the sequences where Sally Hardesty is tortured and tormented by the cannibalistic family at the climax of the film. Furthermore, both films also occasionally place objects in front of the characters their shots. For instance, the dead armadillo in the foreground of one of the opening shots in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which seems to suggest the inevitability of the character's fate, and the shot of the music box in front of Barbara's face in an early sequence in Night of the Living Dead. In terms of the evil dead, this roster of techniques contributes to the sense that the film is tapping into themes, ideas, and perspectives most strongly associated with the horror fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. While it's not clear that Lovecraft was a direct influence on Raimi when he first conceived the Evil Dead, the film's focus on Sumerian culture and the Sumerian Book of the Dead seems to connect with Lovecraft's mythical book, The Necronomicon. And indeed, Raimi explicitly named the book The Necronomicon in The Evil Dead 2. Further to this, all three films in the Evil Dead trilogy have been identified by Julian Petley as examples of films that draw on specifically Lovecraftian elements and radiate a peculiar and distinctly Lovecraftian aura. For Petley, the Evil Dead trilogy's place in this category is primarily due to the film's demon point of view shots, which for him absolutely radiate a Lovecraftian sense of utter malignancy and destructive power. However, Raimi's use of high and low angles and objects in the foreground, which are associated in some way with demon force, 
also seemed to convey an extremely powerful sense of mankind at the mercy of the forces utterly indifferent to its fate, a perspective which, as Petley illustrates, is associated with the pessimistic wider worldview put forward in Lovecraft's fiction. This Lovecraftian quality is particularly evident in two extremely effective and creepy sequences in The Evil Dead. The first occurs as the characters first approach the cabin. Here as the car moves down the slope to the cabin, ominous music begins to play and we hear the sound of something banging. As the characters reach the cabin, they emerge from the car and we are given a shot of them standing slightly out of focus at the left side and at the back of the frame while the source of the banging, a wooden swinging bench, is dominant at the right of the foreground of the frame. As Scotty tentatively approaches the cabin, the film cuts to a shot at his side with the swing bench at the foreground and he reaches towards the door, the swing bench suddenly stops banging. The second sequence takes place after Ash attempts to drive Cheryl away from the cabin after she has been attacked. At the climax of the sequence, Cheryl is framed at a low angle with the destroyed bridge in front of her in the foreground of the shot. Brass cords which imbue the scene with a sense of doom and inevitability begin to play as Cheryl breaks down. As she screams and cries, the camera cranes upward so that Ash and Cheryl are shown from a high angle, and her cries of they're not going to let us leave turn into an echo which carries over to the next shot. In both these cases, characters are shown to be dwarfed at the mercy of something bigger than them and completely beyond their control. Furthermore, the demonic use of objects, in this case the swing bench and the bridge, to obstruct and intimidate the characters seems to relate to the Lovecraftian idea that the normal world as we know it is only a surface which provisionally and imperfectly covers up the abyss of evil that exists beyond. All right, you primitive screwheads. Hopefully that was good enough for you for this week and it quenched your thirst for the evil dead. And don't forget to tune in next Monday to the Heroes from the Sky podcast to witness the return of Groovy Brett. You dig? I know it's not as cool when it's just me, but I tried and hopefully that was good enough for you guys. And so until next time, I'm signing off. Stay groovy. Oh.